Hello, alongside Ryan, sir, I'm Don Helbig, and welcome to The Pick 6, the podcast by the Attractions Group, where we bring you the latest and top stories from the attractions and amusement industry. Thanks, Don. And before we get started with today's news, I want to remind you that we can be found on all your favorite podcast apps, Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, Music, and so on. And we can be found on YouTube. So if you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. Hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, and thanks for being with us. Don, why don't you start off with story number one? Story number one, Six Flags Entertainment and Cedar Fair amid the Department of Justice merger review received a second request for information. In the context of increased antitrust scrutiny, the merger, valued at $8 billion, faces challenges amid post-pandemic consumer caution. Uh, both companies aim to fulfill the DOJ's request by May 2nd, anticipating the merger's completion in the first half of 2024, despite regulatory complexities. And complexities they are when it comes to the Department of Justice. Um, I can't really speculate on what exactly is going on, but I imagine that speed bumps like this would be anticipated uh, with a merger of that size. Yeah, when it is that size, you're right. I mean, it's it's kind of, I guess, standard procedure with it. Uh, I, I think it'll, you know, it's still going to close. It is going to be a little bit later than maybe they, they, you know, had mentioned back in November when this was first, um, you know, announced that they were hoping early or, you know, late first quarter, you know, somewhere March, April type range. So now we're going to be looking at late May, June or July, but uh, it's going to get done. Right. And I guess from a guest standpoint, it doesn't really matter because they wouldn't see the effects for another year or so. But moving right along, I, I will be following that topic, by the way. Lord knows that's the biggest news in the industry right now. But uh, sticking with Cedar Fair, Cedar Point uh, has announced that Winter Chill Out will be returning on February 24th. Uh, this is an annual event that features a walking tour uh, of the park during the winter when it's closed. Uh, it lets people have views of behind-the-scenes areas, uh, and that's going to have an exclusive look at the new Top Thrill 2. Um, it's a new credit this year, according to most, uh, including me. Uh, winter Chill Out supports A Kid Again, which is an organization that uh, helps kids with terminal illnesses uh, have really good experiences and kind of forget about their problems for a little while, but due to high demand, they're implementing a lottery system. Uh, the lottery is going to determine who gets to purchase tickets. Uh, individuals interested in purchasing mm -hmm. will be asked to visit Winter to Chill Out's events page on Cedar Point's website from January 22nd at 10 a.m. until January 24th at 10 a.m. to enter for the opportunity to purchase a ticket. You know, I've never been to Winter Chill Out, but it's super on my bucket list. I, I Everyone who goes loves it. Yeah, they do. Now, this year it went from a two-day event to one day, and you know, there's a lot of reasons behind that, but you got to think about, you know, Cedar Point, and at this time of the year, you know, the weekend's off, you know, that the, the full-time staff that would have to be part of this, you know, they're going to have to give up a weekend that they don't get many from the time the park opens, you know, May all the way through the end of October. Uh, so you're, at, you're really tasking a lot of people you know, to, to be involved with this type of thing. So I understand the one day part of it. Uh, the one thing I don't understand though, is, um, you know, there was the price increase this year is uh, the complaining about that, that I saw about it. it costs more, it's too expensive. It's this, it's for charity. So I think the fact that they're, you know, they're definitely going to still sell it out and everything like that, not going to be any problem there. But when there's something tied to charity, I never like hearing it costs too much. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I agree. Um, and 
I, I, regardless of where the proceeds go, I think that there's a producer and a consumer involved. And if it's priced too high for you, that's your prerogative. You know, I mean, like I, you could have a, a one day ticket to the mall for $8,000 that goes to charity and I wouldn't do it. Uh, so if it's out of your price range, like that, that's completely your prerogative, but you're right. I mean, to imply that Cedar Point is greedy or a kid isn't getting it as greedy or something like that is completely out of line. Um, but you know, it's going to be a great event. Again, everybody that goes seems to really like it. And I've never actually been to Cedar Point, like in the winter or on the lakes in the winter and stuff. That's something I'd really like to try some year. Consider yourself lucky in some respects. It gets so cold. Absolutely. Yeah. And Sandusky in the months of January, February, March, even into April, it's really cold, but it's a great experience. You do get to see the park in a way that, that you don't get to, you get to, uh, you know, go through and see some of the maintenance on the ride. You get to hear from guest speakers. So it's a phenomenal experience. And, uh, you know, those of you that get selected in this um, lottery system, you know, if you haven't been there before, you know, you, you're just going to have a great time and you're going to have plenty of photo opportunities. Yeah, fantastic. Moving right along, story number three, Don. Lake Compounds in Bristol, Connecticut, that's where ESPN is located, is set to retire the bumper cars, trolley, and Jolly Jester, uh, these attractions are going to be retired to make way for new additions. The Wildcat roller coaster will undergo track renovations and Boulder Dash will receive updates with over 800 feet of steel Titan track. The park has not disclosed about, uh, you know, what the replacements are going to be for these retired attractions. But I'm excited about Boulder Dash and the treatment that that's going to get. That's a great roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Lake Compounds is one of those. It's one of the... Uh nor'eastern shall we say states uh and i haven't been to it yet so but you know it's one of those classic old-timey feeling theme parks from what i understand i mean you've been there you can probably get very much on. yeah i i was fortunate that i got to go there a few times when uh working for hockey teams and we would play in hartford you know not too far from there and uh you know between games, you know, if we had a, got there the day earlier, we stayed a day later, something like that. I was able to slip over there a couple of times, made some trips there in the 1980s. Uh, really nice park. I like it. Uh, you know, hope to get back there this summer. Uh, but Boulder Dash, one of the best wooden roller coasters that I've been on. Just so much fun. And, and to see that they're continuing to put the care into it to keep it around for future generations. You know, love that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, so... Moving along again, story number four, Tiana's Bayou Adventure now has dedicated pages on Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resort's websites. Uh, this is now confirming that it has a 40-inch height requirement. The page includes familiar concept arts and, con and a concise description of the attraction. Join Princess Tiana and Louis for a Mardi Gras celebration in the Shimmering Bayou, meeting familiar faces and making new friends. Scheduled to open in Magic Kingdom Park at Walt Disney World Resort in 2024. Um, so I have heard nothing but people that don't, I mean, nobody knows that much about this attraction, but I watch a lot of like Disney YouTube and stuff and people are calling it Tiana's uh, Rainforest Cafe Adventure and stuff. But I, I, I almost feel like Disney's in a position where no matter what they do, it's never going to be good enough. So I have a feeling this is going to come out of left field and just really surprise people. What do you think? I think so, too. You know they're going to do it right. They're going to do it very well. I think when you had uh, that iconic attraction that, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, knew very well, 
at the Magic Kingdom with, with Splash Mountain. You know, it's an all-time favorite. Uh, anytime you replace that with something different, there's going to be that scrutiny, that spec, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, guests not happy about it, you know, wanting to kind of down what's replacing until they experience it. And you see that a lot. And then once they experience a new attraction, oftentimes they like it better than what it was before. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, I love Splash Mountain. I understand, you know, the reasoning for the change and everything like that. Um, it was getting to that point. It did need to be kind of freshened up a little bit, you know, needed some refurbishment. Uh, so, you know, very much looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only thing that's weird about the Splash Mountain situation is the whole like zippity doo thing. That was like Disney World's theme when I was growing up. And to think that the ride, I mean, obviously the movie is something they wouldn't screen there. That's not aged well, but, um, you know, the ride that featured that song is no longer a thing. And I, I, that's just a little weird on me, but again, you know, it's, if anything, they're moving out IP that nobody knows anything about in exchange for IP that's very popular in today's world. So if anything, it's a good business decision. Forget the, you know, socio-political whatever stuff involved with it. Yeah, but at the end of the day, you're still going to get soaked on the ride. Yep. Awesome. Or Universal Studios is going to commemorate the 60th anniversary of the iconic Universal Studios backlot tour, originally named the University our Universal Glamour Tram uh, it initially launched on July 4th, 1964. This attraction, now part of a comprehensive theme park uh, there in California, provided L.A. tourists with a two-hour experience featuring a makeup demonstration costume display by Edith Head, a two-man stunt performance, and a tour of outdoor film sets. Today, the tour is about 45 minutes. It's a ride within a larger theme park offering movie and TV-inspired attractions. Yeah, that the uh, the tour was how that park got started. From what I understand, is they started giving people tours of the back lot and zip ahead, and now they're tearing down sound stages to put in Harry Potter rides and stuff. Uh, I haven't done. I, I've done the tours in the Orlando parks, obviously, uh, which are faux tours, but I haven't done this one. Um, have you ever done a back lot tour? There, there are more back lot tours available in L.A. than just the theme parks. Warner Brothers has one, and so on. But have you ever gotten to do one of those? I have. I did it back in uh, 2003. I was out in Anaheim for the Stanley Cup finals that year between the Anaheim Ducks and the New Jersey Devils and had some time off between games and, and did one of the tours. Um, it's it's a fun experience. You know, I mean, I'd rather be out riding rides than that somewhere, but the, the tour was fun. It was it was educational. You know, got to, to see, you know, different things. It was kind of cool. What about you? Um. Well, like I said, I, I've done, so I did the Disney's Hollywood Studios backlot tour, which is not, by the time I wrote it, it was not really a back, it was an attraction, you know? Um, and mm -hmm. then by the time I started visiting Universal Studios in Orlando, they had some stuff that was kind of like the elements of the tour, um, like uh, Twister and stuff like that was, you know, came birth from the, the tour experience. But no, I, I actually really want to do one. I want, uh, there's, you know, they've got, Universal has it, Warner Brothers has it, and so on. And I love um, the logistics of movies and knowing that, you know, this building played six different parts in six different movies from six different time periods. I think that's fascinating. So I definitely want to check it out someday. Yeah, I highly recommend it. You know, at least do it once. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, number six, let's move on. Number six. So SeaWorld Orlando gears up for Sesame Street Land's fifth birthday celebration. Featuring character meet and greets, a new Sesame Street birthday parade, story time with Big Bird, crafts, and optional activities like the birthday breakfast bass and scavenger hunt. Special character interactions vary by date, starting with Snuffy on January 27th to February 4th. Other characters like Murray, Baby Bear, Honker, Dinger, Elmo, Cookie, and Abby Kadabby will be on Saturdays during the celebration. Admission to SeaWorld is required for the $34.99 birthday bash, featuring a diverse menu and includes a free photo per adult ticket. Uh, so I, I've been to SeaWorld twice since, uh, twice in the last two years or so. And I did actually swing by Sesame Street land and it was almost nostalgic for me because it was so well done that I felt like I was in the show that I watched as a child. Have you gotten to see it in person yet? Yes. And you're right. It is, um, you're going to rekindle those memories of you as a child. Uh, you know, if you watch Sesame Street growing up, as a lot of us did, we've talked about it, Ryan, many times already on the podcast about, you know, how good SeaWorld is and how it gets kind of lost in the shuffle there when you've got the Disney parks and you've got Universal and, you know, Bush Gardens down the road and all those kind of uh, places and things to do. But, uh, you know, it, it's right up there in terms of the experience. I mean, it's a, it's a great time. And if, you know, you're in Central Florida, you know, definitely put it on your list of things to do because, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really you know, nice park. It's a fun park. There's so much to see and do. You won't be disappointed. Yeah. And it's definitely one of those parks where if you go and you just ride the rides, you'll have a good time, but you won't have the full experience because you have to see the shows and the, the animals and the experiences and stuff. But one funny story, the last time I was at SeaWorld and this was in late September, uh, me and my friend Alex. So shout out to Alex, if he's listening, uh, we, we were there with, uh, our significant others and they left to use the restroom or something. We're in Sesame street world. Cause that's where we hang out, I guess. And, um, we were both, ha- we both happened to be wearing red shirts and, uh, in their theater, uh, the theater facade is for character meet and greets. Well, it was Elmo in there. So we're like, whatever, let's take a picture with Elmo. So we went in there and took a picture and we kind of like built rapport with this character of, uh, like, Oh, we're all wearing red. We're on the same team. And um, when the two of them came back to meet up with us, when they found us in this theater, uh, Elmo was kept on pointing at our shirts and stuff, like all excited that we were wearing red like him. But um, I, I, I really I think that your overall SeaWorld is an awesome product. And uh, the experience that you get at, um, you know, the Sesame Street world is really next level for them, especially uh, because they built the facades and everything to look perfect. And you really feel like you're on the street and, you know, what a win for them. Now you mentioned, you know, growing up watching Sesame street, did you like Bert better or Ernie? So the, gosh, I feel like you and I have had this discussion, but I don't know if it's on camera, off camera. We never have. We never have. We never talked about Sesame Street until just now. We've never I'm surprised because I've always associated you with Sesame Street, but we've never discussed it. Anyway, um, I I was an Ernie guy. Uh, Bert was always the logical one and Ernie was the fun one. So I'm definitely an Ernie type of person. But every, every kid has their own character that they absolutely love. And mine is actually, was actually a character named Guy Smiley, 
which I don't think is on the show anymore. Maybe he is, but he he's not an original creation, but he used to have a talk show and he would pop out from under the curtain and it would like mess up his hair and stuff. And I always thought that that was awesome, but it's funny because they were selling guy smiley dolls in that, um, that theater where we met Elmo and that anecdote I just told you. So I almost bought one just for the nostalgia of it. <laughs> Did you have a favorite character growing up? That would have been Ernie. Ernie? You know, from, from Sesame. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, he was uh, more fun. Uh, you know, I thought, uh, you know, Bert maybe a little too tightly wound. So uh, Ernie was the character. So here's a little factoid. Let me ask you this, if you know this. This will come up playing bar trivia someday. So this you can take this one to the bank, anyone who's listening. Do you know the Cookie Monster's real name? The Cookie Monster's yeah, real the, name. Yeah, not, not the puppeteer or anything like that. The character actually has a name, but they've gone away from using it. Uh, he was just introduced as this name. You know, I, I remember there being a name, but I, I'm at a loss. I mean, I can't, I can't conjure it up in my mind what that was. What you was ready it, for it? Yeah. The Cookie Monster's real name is Sid. Ah, oh, yes. Sid, okay. Now, now, yeah, now it's back. Okay, <laughs> now it's yeah. back. Okay. I just couldn't think of it. I, I couldn't think of it, you know. Um, it was just the Cookie Monster. But yeah, I, was a, I, was, I like that uh, that character too, the Cookie Monster. I did too. It, like, I, I've heard rumors that he's like the vegetable monster. Yeah, here's the thing. Like, a lot of, not really parents, because I feel like parents are smartened up to this, but people on the outside looking in are like, you shouldn't have a character on Sesame street promoting eating only cookies to little kids. But unless things have changed a lot in the past, like 35 years of me growing up, I always understood that the cookie monster was supposed to be absurd, that you couldn't eat cookies for every meal. And anybody that would want to do such a thing would probably have some sort of medical condition or not medical, but like a mental condition, you know, because personally, if I eat too many sweets and I've always been like this, I start to have a tummy ache. Uh, and I hope that Sid is doing okay with his BMI with all the cookies he eats. Don, enough about Sesame Street. I know it's your favorite subject, but we must move on. Uh, the listener question. And uh, this one, I guess, is directed at you because it's not relevant to me. But the listener question is from William Coffey. Uh, he said, starting as a fan of Kings Island and then working there for years, how did this affect your personal time in the park? Did you feel the same when you visited off the clock? Did it ruin anything for you? Or make any make it any better for you. Now that's for you because I've never worked at the park. So let me ask you that. Well, I mean it. It didn't make any difference really. I mean, if if I went out in the park to ride rides as a guest, um, you know, just right away I went right back into that mode. You know, it didn't seem like anything had changed at all. And I think part of that would be because I was there a lot as a guest, you know, it wasn't like I would go, you know, once or twice a month or something. And then I think maybe there would have been more separation to it, but because I was there all the time and what I was doing with the racer, you know, I was very involved with the marketing team and I got to know, you know, pretty much everybody that worked at the park uh, full time. So when I started working there, you know, on my first, I already knew who was in the buildings, you know, who was in each office. I already knew all of those people. So it never really felt any different for me going from guest to working there and then from working there back out in the park, it was all the same. And, you know, Ryan, there's times that you and I would, you know, I would meet up with you and we'd ride rides and that. And it just was like, I stepped back into the 1980s again, nothing had changed. Um, you know, so appreciate the question and that, but, uh, no, I mean, it was never any, any different, uh, you know, for me to go back out in the park. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's my, my 
perspective, and this is obviously a, a little bit skewed from yours, is, you know, when when I would have involvement at the park, mainly through you, uh, if anything, it probably enhanced my enjoyment because I would take pride in that my park is doing this. So, you know, when, you know, the Robbie Knievel jump was successful with, you know, when I was involved with that and so on, um, you know, I, there was a pride aspect to it. So if anything, it enhanced, I imagine that's true for you too, you know, when, well, I mean, it was a little different, you know, when there would be media events, you know, like the Diamondback announcement, uh, you know, the, the Banch, um, Mystic Timbers, you know, those kind of things in that respect, you know, I went from being somebody who was in the crowd, the anticipation, everything, you know, what they were going to announce to the person who was putting that all together. So in that respect, yeah, that enhanced that because I got to put on for the guest the things that I enjoyed so much, you know, in the 80s and the 90s. So I started working there in 2007. So in that respect, yeah, I was enhanced a little bit because I was able to be in a position to give those experiences to people that, um, you know, I received you know, even like a B store, you know, those kind of things that I was able to to give those kind of things. So from that point, yeah, I was a little bit enhanced that way because I could take the things I enjoyed and then, you know, do those things and see the guests enjoy it as much as I did. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I have in mind is like, um, from your standpoint, it's kind of like you saw the conceptualization, people being sold on and the execution of, let's say, Phantom Theater Encore. And then you watch it and you see how happy people are. That that has to bring you a sense of pride, you know? Oh, it did. I mean, you're, did. you're not the guy that produced the show. You didn't write the music. You didn't do anything like that. But the fact that, you know, maybe you had a hand in advocating for it or um, a lot of these people were there because of your promotion and stuff, like, that. that's where I would imagine it would be, you know, the, the extra level of, of excitement. Uh, yeah, that part. But in terms of, though, going from, you know, leaving the office – and then coming back into the park as a guest, whether it was that night or on a day I was off, you, I stepped back into that world of guest, you know, and it was seamless. You know, there wasn't any kind of, uh, you know, this is odd. This is, you know, strange or it took something away. None of that happened at all. Perfect. It was just a seamless transition. And I just went back into the guest world. Awesome. Cool. Hey, thanks for the question. That's another pick six. Um, make sure that you follow us on all your channels, all the YouTubes and the Googles and the Apples and the Spotify's and so on. Hit the like button, leave a comment in the comment section, and we'll see you next week, everybody.